Good morning to each of you. This morning I want to talk with you about faith during discouraging times. Now I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start uh, on negatives. Start with negatives. So we live, we live in challenging times, and you may not want to hear about all the challenges that I'm going to mention. Uh, we have COVID-19 that has resulted in uh, many changes, resulted in economic hardship for many people, loss of jobs, loss of business, loss of social interaction, and uh, I won't go into how this happened. I don't know if I even know, but also has resulted in unrest and violence in many cities. Uh, and it has resulted, I think, in people, since they don't have, didn't have, maybe still don't have a normal daily life of work and interaction has resulted in people making choices that they would not normally have made, doing things they wouldn't normally have done because they have too much time uh, to think and not enough uh, interaction with people who can help them think well. Um, and it's just the uh, pandemic wasn't enough trouble. Uh, we've heard of some of us have. Um, People saying things about this recent presidential election process that it was conducted in a uh, irregular and fraudulent, fraudulent manner. We've heard of apparently dishonest politicians making uh, accusations of other politicians that wasn't based, that haven't been based on truth. Um, you know, if you listen to these things very much, they're very troubling. Uh, we hear about public education on every level that uh, promotes ideas that are completely opposed to the Bible. Uh, we hear about media that apparently promotes what's called narratives in our day, storylines that uh, apparently are not true at all for some reason. Uh, the reporting is not needed. And of course, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, unborn babies being killed, through abortion. Uh, I have other things written down here. Maybe I could just skip them. Uh, they're all negative. And uh, in addition to all these public, public, maybe you call them concerns, and uh, trouble. Uh, the reality is we each have our own burdens, burdens, because, because, because we live in a, a fallen world that's been affected by evil and the devil is at work. And uh, not only that, there are natural physical consequences of the fall that we experience, not even because we have sinned in particular. And, uh, yes, it's like we were talking at the back of the auditorium here this morning. 
Macy and I had been talking here in the last day or two about the fact that there are only um, three people, four people, four people maybe in this congregation who are older than we are. And uh, that's a little bit, I don't know if it's frightening, but it's like, oh wow, how did this happen? And we're getting older and we know how this works. When you get older, and so what, what, what role does faith have in, in life being what it is? These kind of challenges are discouraging, and for some people they're even depressing. And it's enough to make people a question. I've had people talk with me about these things. It's almost, almost enough to make people question the foundations of their faith in God. Like, who is God and where is God? And does He even care? And is He even involved? And, uh, and, it, and it gets worse than that when people say that they have been praying and they have no idea if God is listening because it feels like He's not. They don't hear anything back and they just get so tired of talking to God and they don't hear anything in return. And I think most of us get that, yes. Recently, I received a text from someone and it read, word for word, I am not sure life is worth fighting for. And how do you respond to a communication like that? Well, in, in these challenging times, I believe we need assurance, reassurance, that God is righteous, that He's just, that He's good, that He's alive and present. And we need encouragement to trust and obey God. So I want to focus this morning on some stories in the Bible that were, in which people faced difficulties and uh, see what God did for them. And I've been working on this, thinking about this for a long time. And what I would say this morning on the reflection about what I've been reading, is that the Bible is literally full of these stories. It's full of them. There are so many of them. People in trouble. And, and God did things. And uh, when people talk with me uh, about, about their trouble, uh, lately I've been telling them you need to read Exodus 3. Well, you need to read whatever. You just need to read that story. You know, there's other people who have been there too. You need to read. So I want to start with Moses. Exodus 2, 3. He was, and I have to hurry here. So he was miraculously saved from death by Pharaoh's daughter. And then. He killed an Egyptian for beating a fellow Hebrew, and I believe that event tells us something about Moses. It tells us how much he cared about the injustice of his people and how much he cared about the right and wrong of things. And of course, what he did wasn't right. 
And so, his sense of justice motivated him to do something that was not in God's time. So he took justice into his own hand, and then he had to flee for his life. Okay, his life is, uh, is, uh, it has a, a lot of very contradictory events. So, he saved out of the water at birth, and then he kills this man, then he has to run. And um, he couldn't go into the promised land because it struck the rock. But then on the other hand, the Bible refers to him as the, as the meekest man on the earth. Uh, which maybe says there's hope for some of the rest of us, you know, that uh, we can be pretty hard on ourselves sometimes, or we can be too lenient with ourselves. But God is the one who has the final say. People feel God's purposes for his life despite all the trouble and difficulty and even the mistakes he made. So, during, I want to focus on a few events. During this conversation with God or Christ, I think pre incarnate Christ, which it was, at the burning bush, he was, uh, you might say, forced, kind of forced, to leave the pure and virgin for 40 years, and he did not want to do it. He did not want the job. Uh, God said some very significant things to Moses. He said, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> so that's the grand statement of God. I've been listening, I've been watching, I've been seeing, and I am going to take action here, and you're the person. And, of course, we know the story. Moses is like, no, I'm not going. I can't do that. I can't talk. You get somebody else until... Because uh, I remember, uh, I think the one verse says, uh, and God became angry with him. <laughs> it's like, Moses, it's enough of that. All right, I'm going to give you Aaron. <coughs> Of course, Aaron was not very good help sometimes. But anyway, this is life. Okay, how it goes. It's hard things to understand sometimes. Apart from crossing the Red Sea, probably the biggest crisis in Moses' life was when Israel made the golden calf, while he spent forty days on the mountain with God. And the people said, "We don't know what's." Some of this man, he disappeared, been gone all this time. And so they made uh, this golden calf. And here's what the Lord said to Moses. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain, your, 
hear this. He said, Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've so quickly turned away from the way I commanded them to live. And he went on saying things. And, uh, and then in the next chapter, well, Moses said with the Lord, don't, don't do what you're planning to do, destroy them all. Because then these other nations will just decide that you, you, you are... You're a helpless God. You bring the people out of Egypt, and then you, you can't take care of them in the wilderness, and it'll ruin their view of you. That was a good argument, you know. I mean, somehow, I don't know how he came up with that, but when God changed his mind, uh, which I can't explain, don't ask. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people. And the next phrase, get going and leave the people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. Okay, and I'm, I'm emphasizing that because I don't understand God saying stuff to Moses like that. Like, okay, these are the people you brought up, they're your people, you, you know they're just Whatever they're not doing right, it ain't you and your people. And um, then uh, later in the same chapter in Exodus 33, uh, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true, that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, and remember that these people are your very own people. And I think that is Moses making a plea to God. Okay, I've heard you saying this thing that these are my people, and I brought my people up out of Egypt, and all this talk about me and mine and the weight of all of that. Just, just remember, God, that you're um, people. They're your people. <laughs> Don't put this all on me. And the Lord, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't let us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And then Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence, which is the account where God said, I will pass by and you will be able to see only a part of me. So then we have Hebrews 11, which has quite a seven or eight verses about Moses. I'm not going to read that. 
but it says, by faith Moses, by faith Moses, by faith Moses. But it is obvious when you read the story of Moses' life that, it, that he didn't always have superhuman, superhuman faith. He did not. He did sometimes. Uh, which says that, um, maybe what that says is that you don't have to have perfect faith and you don't have to perfect everything uh, to please God. And I don't mean by that you don't care, but Moses obviously did not keep his faith perfected. Now I want to talk a little about Isaiah. Isaiah. He was a prophet to Judah, and because of their sins, they had been overrun by Assyria. Well, Israel had been overrun by Assyria, and the prophet Isaiah served as a prophet to Judah about uh, beginning about 20 or 30 years after uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been overrun by Assyria. So in the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, Isaiah likens Judah to Sodom and Gomorrah because of Judah's great wickedness. And it talks about how God despises the worship, sacrifices, I think maybe they even sacrificed their children, he despised their worship because of their sins. And uh, Isaiah tells you to God's message, which was, When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And that kind of, um, that kind of uh, declaration to God's people is sort of common in the Old Testament. The prophets made those kind of statements many times. And it wasn't just about these uh, sacrifices, right? It was about, hey, if you hear these things that I'm asking you to do about relationships, how you relate to other people. And the people who have no voice or are they more helpless, so they have no, no way to protect themselves. So that was his message. In Isaiah 12, he, Isaiah says, I will trust and not be afraid. God is my salvation, which means literally, my salvation is God himself. God is my salvation. Uh, in Isaiah 13 through 23, it's a number of chapters, 10, 11, 12 chapters, Isaiah, Isaiah predicts God's judgment on various nations. It's a rather interesting reading, not just on Judah, but all other nations too, even those who were in power, had a lot of power. In Isaiah 26, if God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. 
you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Uh, Isaiah 35, in the midst of great trouble, even worldwide chaos, uh, Isaiah says God offers a safe place for the redeemed. Uh, he talks about a solitary place in the desert. And the idea is uh, in an unpopulated, quiet place where the redeemed can be now, maybe the world would be rejuvenated. So life, life is still difficult, and there's many troubles, and uh, there's a lot of chaos in the world, among the nations, and in our lives. And uh, Isaiah says, there's a quiet place where you can meet the Lord. And I want to read yet from Isaiah, Isaiah 42, where he focuses on Jesus Christ, uh, who will redeem and defeat evil. And I do believe that this, this is, uh, as I've gotten older, I think, and seen more things, and heard more things, I, I really do believe that if, if a person does not have a strong confidence, that God is going to um, have the last word and going to do whatever is right to right the evil in the world, a person, I think, can lose, just lose faith. There are so many things that, that are out of order. And, and I want to say, too, that it doesn't really help any for me or you to think about the evil in the world and how things are so out of order and, then, and act like we're never out of order ourselves. I don't think that really helps at all. Uh, and I'm not saying that we're guilty of everything everybody does. I just, I'm just saying it, it doesn't help to think that everybody else deserves God's judgment, and we have done perfectly, and we have nothing to be concerned about in our own lives. Just, I didn't have that in my notes. Just thought. So in Isaiah 42, he said, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen, from that Jesus. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout. Or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand. 
That, that is really a personal, isn't it? I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I'm not sure if the people in dark dungeons are just talking about getting them out of the dungeons physically or freeing their spirits from in the dungeon. I'm sure both have happened. Uh, now, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah called. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. It was like Moses. The Lord replied, Don't say. I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people. Now that, that, is, that is really a fascinating statement because of what happened to them. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Then the Lord said to me, Look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that's right, and it means that I am watching. And I will certainly carry out all my plans. In Jeremiah 26, the Lord told Jeremiah to prophesy that the Lord is going to destroy the temple and make Jerusalem an object of cursing in every nation on earth. So Jeremiah delivered the message. You should read through Jeremiah. Is unbelievable. Then the priests and prophets and all the people of the temple shouted, Kill him! Kill Jeremiah! And then someone defended him, and he was not killed. In Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah feels forsaken by the Lord. Uh, he says, I am mocked every day. I am a household joke. My friends are against me, watching for me to make a mistake. He says, I cursed the day I was born. I wish I had died in my mother's womb. He didn't say this once. I, I read it several times. Jeremiah talks like this in many places in the book. And God responds that these people will not conquer you, Jeremiah, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. Well, the reality is that Jeremiah was imprisoned and put in a cistern until he almost died. And uh, someone pled for him and said, you know, you've got to get him out of there. He, he will die there. And they took him out of there, and then he was kept in the palace prison until Jerusalem was kept by Babylon. Okay, I'm hurrying. Daniel, Daniel. 
a captive in exile in Babylon. He told Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of his dream, and then he was promoted. This is Noah's year, okay? Then he was promoted to the king's court as the ruler over the whole province of Babylon. His three friends were promoted as well. And I have two stories related to Daniel. So Daniel's three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to the image of the king. But after they were bound and thrown in the furnace, the reason I'm telling this story is the king uh, was watching them in this fiery furnace, and he said, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. The words I believe Jesus. Then we have Daniel in the lion's den. Um, this happened after Darius the Mede defeated Babylon. And because Daniel was faithful, responsible, capable, and completely trustworthy, I mean, when you read the account there in Daniel, it, it sounds like Daniel was just an outstanding person. And his wisdom in affairs of state and political issues and, and making decisions about the country. He had a second under the king position. Other uh, government officials became jealous of him and convinced Darius to make a decree that anyone who prays to anyone but Darius for the next 30 days will be thrown in the den of lions. And so, the very next verse, he says, so Daniel went home and prayed three times a day, as he always had, uh, at his window, facing Jerusalem, and uh, his uh, jealous enemies uh, were watching. They had themselves positioned where they could see where he prayed. They knew where he would be when he prayed. And they saw him praying, and so they went and uh, reported that. And uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the king was uh, very sad that he had made this decree and felt trapped, and then he realized he couldn't get out of this. So, so he said, okay, go ahead, put him in the den of lions. And as he was led to the den, the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And so a stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and it was sealed so that no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king uh, went to his place. I think he didn't sleep all night and didn't uh, have his normal night. Said he fasted all night. I fast all night too. I'm not sure what that meant. Said he fasted all night. I'm just being a little humorous. I don't usually get up and eat or drink. Uh, but anyway, he refused his usual entertainment. Uh, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried after the lions again. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, the Bible says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? 
And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you. Your Majesty, or O King. Okay, I want to look here at Jesus. <clears throat> um, John 6. I'm going to read a few verses. John 6. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? After this, this is going on further, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Uh, the next chapter, uh, 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Chapter 8. I either need a larger print Bible or better glass for more light. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. <clears throat> chapter 10, John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Lazarus from the dead. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. That's a great statement. <laughs> you don't know anything about what you're talking about. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. I think the speaking about the Gentiles would be brought in. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. <coughs> so I think it's easy. I think it's very easy for us to think that our life is worse. I've had people say that my life is worse than anybody in the world. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to identify anybody's troubles, but I just doubt that that you're in my life is worse than anybody has ever been in the world. There have been many, many people in very, very difficult places. And again, I'm not trying to diminish your trouble. And I have, I have been in troubles of my own, and I've, I've times been quite, I think the word would be terrified, just literally scared half to death by circumstances that I was in, and, um, you know, you, you learn things when things are so bad and you don't actually die. You, you do learn things that um, God is bigger than your fear, and God is bigger than your trouble. And, uh, <clears throat> so in the introduction, I, I, uh, Said that lately I received a text from someone that read, I'm not sure life is worth fighting for. So I'm going to tell you what I said. I responded, uh, Yes, sometimes I wonder myself what it is that keeps a person going. And I said, If I didn't have a firm faith in Jesus, I'm not sure how, how I would deal with all the things that don't work. And, uh, she was in a very reflective mode, I think. So she responded, but how 
how do you maintain a firm faith? My feels very flimsy right now. And I said, uh, and this, this, what I told her is very true for me. I, I said, um, the major reason I have a firm faith in Jesus is the things he's done when I pray for people like you. People don't make up, don't make this stuff up. I mean, the things that God does for them when people pray. And she said, yes, that's true. But when I look at my situation, I can't hardly breathe. And uh, we went on from there. And it got better. But I'm not going to take the blame for that or the whatever. Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to get really so bad off that you can't, you can't go down more and God does things for you and you uh, trust Him more. So uh, life, life is hard. It is. And the devil is at work. But uh, what I want to say this morning is that Jesus is alive. He is alive. He's not dead and he's not in the grave. And he does marvelous things. And I think he does things to people sometimes that they aren't even aware he's doing. And uh, part of the reason they're not aware he's doing it is they're too mad at him. Or they're in too much pain. Or they're too scared. And I, and I understand those things, but I, my point is just that God is still alive. Jesus is still alive, and He's still working. And the Bible is full of these accounts that He was working. He was working when they thought they were all alone. And He will ultimately defeat the devil and the evil, and He will win the battle. He will. But when you are anxious or discouraged or in great fear about your circumstances, I know it's not easy, but give God permission to be present with you. Invite Him to be present with you. Invite Him to grow your faith. Uh, Invite Him to maintain your faith. I don't even know if we have the ability to maintain our own faith. We are very dependent on God. But this calls for us to cooperate with God and to be open to God. Invite Him to grow your faith and grow your hope in Him and to protect you from the devil and evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you understand our circumstances, the events in the world and in our personal lives, and thank you that. You are alive, and you know, and understand, and see everything, every circumstance, every event, every thought and feeling, and whatever feels true to us. You, you know, you know what it is, and you thank you that you are working to accomplish the good end that you have in mind for us, and show us how to cooperate with you. And the good thing that you want to accomplish, I pray you bless each of us here and anyone who's listening. 
Let the book of presence do the work of your spirit. And work to accomplish your good end. And thank you.